0: Well, good morning. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, Lyle has Jaden and Josiah in the front row, and I have Lyle. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't get Jesse in the front row. He has to man the door in the back. So, hi, Jesse. Hey, there he is. <laughs> so anyway, and then we have all of you. If you haven't already, turn into Second Peter, chapter one. And those of you that are guests with us and haven't been here uh, long we are going through second Peter uh, verse by verse a uh, little at a time and my job is to share w- what is God' saying and and then help us to make sense of it all and we as we take a slow walk uh, through this and if you don't realize but you may take it for granted because as we read in in John chapter 1 that we see that this is the living, breathing, very words of Christ and the words of our Lord and Savior. And so we take it for granted. We see black and white and we see uh, words on a paper, but really we don't realize this is God's communicative word to us. And we don't want to take it for granted. And there is so much more there. Uh, as you see, the idea is growing in godliness and, and spiritual training and to realize what we have because of what Christ did and what God gave us and not to take it for granted. He did all of that. It was His work. It's not our work. Why we are saved is because of His work. And because of His work, then we still have a responsibility to add to that. Not, and to come alongside of what God has done. The cool thing is, in the context of what we are about to read, is, is that he supplied our faith. He gave us all of that. And now we have a responsibility to grow in what he gave us. But it's based on the fact that he gave us everything we need to be able to do that. That is like, that's a, that's a dream come true if you're a builder, to be... You don't have to go out and buy everything or to find all the laborers and, and to find everything you need to fix your house. It has all been supplied. And in our growing in godliness, God gave us our salvation and he's given us everything we need to continue to be responsible in growing in godliness. And we want to see that this morning. So would you pray with me? to ask God to bless the reading of his word. Lord, we are here to hear from you. Lord, take my words, my actions, my inflections, and Lord, I pray that you would put them aside and that you would interpret through the hearts, through the power of your spirit, to teach us what you want us to know. That we might see you, to know you, and Lord, to be responsible, to respond to you. And to your word this morning, may we not be just hearers, but we may be doers of your living, breathing word. So, Lord, I ask that you would bless this time, that, Lord, you would help us to honor your word, give it the weight that it deserves. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 1, we'll go through 8, and we'll be going back up to 5 and 6. Second uh, Peter, in, starting in verse one, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have attained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which again he has granted to us his precious and very great promise so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature that's God's divine nature having escaped from the corruption that, that is in the world because of sinful desire of our Lord Jesus Christ it's quite a passage and that and we should really take it those two main things or three main things that all of this is being supplied what God wants us to do with our life growing in godliness is being supplied to us by his very own nature his moral excellence his glory has been provided if we respond to what he's told us to do So that way we would not be ineffective and unfruitful. God desires for us to be effective and to be fruitful according to His divine nature. That should encourage us. That should help us to understand. But also, not only that, but did you notice, He says, to make every effort. This is our responsibility, to make a conscious effort effort to say it is a priority in my life to be growing and remember that He gave us what we needed to grow. He provided us with it. He implanted it in us when we gave our life to Christ and and when He saved us He provided what we needed. Hallelujah! That is amazing to think about just that. Just to think about what God has really done. But then He says now prioritize it in your life. Make it a priority. And I encourage you to think about how much of a priority have you made it to be growing in your faith and what God has given you. God didn't give us salvation and give us faith just to sit here like bumps on the log and get picked off by Satan with sniper fire. He expected us to move, to do something, to respond with what He gave us. We have a responsibility to act upon our faith. To, I like that word supplement. That was a great translation. That we aren't, it doesn't save us. Growing in godliness doesn't save us, but it supplements what God has given us so that way it grows and we see the fruit of God, of godliness grow in our life, and that's so important. Here is what we discovered in verse 5. God has done all of this, and he says, now make every effort to supplement your faith. Faith is the beginning. Our faith is obtained by grace. We didn't deserve it, but we were saved by grace through faith by putting our trust and saying that God is God. He is our creator. He is everything. We need him to save us. When he died on the cross for our sins, he gave us grace to apply what the Son did so that we can have life by faith. So he starts in godliness is through what he gave us. We have to exercise that faith. And and this is a stair step. I hope you see that as we go up. It's a stair step. Every single one of these qualities that God wants us to grow in is something to help us get a step closer in effective godliness. Excellence is seeking godly character. Moral excellence or virtue is seeking God's character. And that led to knowledge. And this is all what we talked about last week. is seeking to know and to understand God. And as we exercise our faith we see God's moral character and we grow in that moral character and as we grow in that moral character, we understand who God is more and as we understand who God is more, that leads to the fourth thing that we're going to talk about today and that is his self-control. Peter's own words should convict us here. Convict us to pay careful attention as we make this a priority for the benefits pertain to Not only to our past, it pertains to our present walk and it pertains to our future hope. And may we approach this text of God's word with a deep sense of importance and an open and willing and eager heart to hear and heeds God's spirit as he reveals this importance to us. And this is the goal here is that realizing that the knowledge of God is essential to our growth in the Christian character and our ability to recognize and to avoid those who teach what is false, who would distract us from the things that pertain to true godliness. And it is out there, all mannerisms of teachings that have to deal more with this world and less with who God is. In verse 6, you notice that he says, and with virtue, knowledge. But look at verse 6. He says, and knowledge, we need to add self control, and self control with steadfastness. Now, I chose to use the word perseverance instead of steadfastness. Steadfastness is kind of a mouthful, and I, I trip over it all the time. So, perseverance. Four. The fourth thing that he says that the next step in godliness that we need to exercise and make a priority is self control. Self-control enables us to be servants of the will of God. Now think about what I just said. I chose these words specifically. He allows us to be servants of the will of God. When we we allow and learn self-control, we are no longer gripping on to our desires, but we are seeing when we get a hold, and stop focusing on what we want, it allows us to see what God wants. And when we see what God wants, it makes us easier to take a step forward in the direction that God wants us to go. But it depends on what you're grabbing onto. Self-control literally means to, to take a grip on oneself. It means to hold oneself together so then that way yourself isn't in control. It means to confine yourself, to get a grip on oneself. That, you know what I'm saying, you know when you tell somebody, get a grip? It means get a hold of yourself, man. Right? You're out of control. Every once in a while, or should I say daily, we hear that word often in our house. Get a grip. <laughs> right? Get a hold of yourself. You're out of control. Self-control allows us to be servants not of ourself, but of God. If we do not confine ourselves, we don't understand what the true reality of what God wants because our desires, our emotions, all of those things take control. The domin- the appetites of our flesh will dominate our life if we don't get a grip on ourselves. I remember when I was a uh, when I was uh back in Bible college we one of my roommates was a baseball player. He injured himself, and he had to start working, uh, working out. And I got to train with him, and I got to help him. And it was, it was a great time. It was fun. I was even tempted to play baseball again. And I was like, no, Lord, you want me to go into ministry? But it was a fun time to rehab him. The one thing I really didn't understand was is he kept using one of those grip machines. You know what I'm talking about? You know those? And he'd wear it out, It'd be, I mean, to where I, even I could do it, and I could grip one of those deals. But he, and I'm like, why in the world? He, he, he played, he batted, and he, he wasn't a pitcher, but it's like, why in the world are you? He goes, look, if I don't have the right amount of strength, I cannot hold the ball well. And if I don't hold the ball well, I can't control the ball well. And if I can't control the ball well, then the ball doesn't go where it needs to go. And I, and, I, and I go, oh, that's why I had problems when I was playing third base. <laughs> Ball didn't always tend to go where I wanted it to go. It either went into the dirt or went into the dugout. Uh, and, and, and nobody said I needed to work on my grip. This is the reality. If we do not exercise self-control and get a grip on our lives and keep our life under control we're not going to be able to head in the direction that God desires. We're not going to see and benefit from God's will in the same way that he would desire. We need to exercise this. We need to realize that. And this is the thing that helps us To exercise self-control, we need to realize that we've been delivered from being slaves to the flesh. And we're no longer slaves. We don't have to give in to the flesh anymore because God saved us. He literally bought us through the blood of the cross. He bought us out of slavery. He took us out of the chains of sin. And he put us into slavery in God's house. Now the thing about it is we went from one slavery to another slavery. But with God, he gives us his robe of authority to live in the house, to enjoy the house, to have the full benefits of the house as if we were the very son because he adopted us. That's different, isn't it? But the flesh is not the same way. We, can't, we need to realize we're no longer slaves to the flesh. Romans 6, 15 through 18 It says in verse 16, do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness? So who are you going to be a slave to? The flesh or to the Lord? We need to exercise self-control. Who are you presenting yourself to? That's the big question here. The other thing that helps us in self-control is living a godly life requires us to master the flesh and make it our servant. So the idea here of getting a grip is to no longer uh, just abandon all control and let our flesh dictate what we do and let the, the unfruitly ungodliness of our mind and whatever we think Just turn the ship loose and let it go wherever you want. That's not what God wants. We need to realize that we need to make our flesh a servant. That's what athletes do. Athletes dictate the terms of their body. They're masters at it. That's why they do what they do. And then people like me, they go out on the weekend and say, I'm going to do what those guys do. And I play football and guess what happens? I break ribs. I break my back. <laughs> yeah, all most of my injuries are because I thought I could do what they did. But I wasn't subjecting my muscles and body to control the way that athletes are. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 through 27, God put it this way. It says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Right? See, God's not politically correct like today where everybody gets the trophy at the end of the race. Only one gets the prize, he says. Run in such a way that you may win. And everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we do it to receive an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim, I box in such a way as not to beat in the air, but I buffet my body and make it my slave, lest possibly after I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. He, can, he, he makes it all about self-control in order to serve the Lord, to run in the correct way. And that's what God wants us to exercise, and we need to realize that sin uses the flesh to keep us in slavery. Sin's objective is to keep you in slavery so you're not effective for God's will. Satan and the world encourages us to live according to the flesh. Abandon self-control. That's the, that's the problem with screen times and entertainment and all of these things. And, 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 and it, it, it usually lends to self-control. And I I'm, I'm do this all the time. It doesn't promote self-control. It's usually the opposite. When I'm prepared, we have a couple rules in my house as I get ready for bed. One, you cannot ask me a, a question about theology. Because then my brain goes a mile a minute trying to answer every question about it. Two, you cannot bring up a problem that's at church. Because then I will chase down every possible solution for that problem. So those are the two main things. Basically, don't ask me to make a decision after 8 o'clock. Then I try to do whatever I can to numb the brain to get it to stop thinking. I love to read the Psalms, partially because it just tells me how great God is. And I don't have to chase down some theological premise. But I want to numb the brain. And sometimes I put on some of the stupidest shows just so I'll stop thinking. Sometimes I watch football. Just so I'll stop thinking. Ask my wife. She's like, I don't understand why you watch football because when I go in there, you're sleeping. (laughs) Duh. It's very relaxing. (laughs) Nobody bothers me and I sleep. The football's done. Right? Sin wants us to be ineffective. Doesn't want us to understand who God is. Doesn't want us to see what God wants. And wants us to be unfruitful. It's why false teachers appeal. People that teach contrary to God's word always appeal to the fleshly lusts. And they promote losing control. It's amazing how many times people who are preaching, teaching false things that are contrary to God's word, they may have good things in it, but it leads, they always lead to losing control, not gaining control. They appeal to those things. Be weary of those that tell you, you can have everything you want now. And they preach prosperity. Look, that's not the gospel of the Bible. The gospel of the Bible is not what we see a lot of times preached today. Well, you hear a lot about love. You hear a lot about this world. You hear a lot about feelings and emotions. But you don't hear a lot about our sin. You don't hear a lot about God's wrath is coming. That judgment is coming and this world is going to be destroyed. And what will you do when you stand before God? In fact, look at Acts 24. Paul was speaking to the governor, Felix. And and, and Paul and, and... was speaking about faith in Christ. And he talked to the governor and he said this, and discussing righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. And look what Felix did. Felix became frightened and said, go away from my presence. <laughs> I'll summon you later. Paul didn't say, oh, look at all these beautiful things I can do for you. He told him the truth about the gospel. Galatians 5 Tells us that the, the things of the flesh are evident in verse 19. And all of those things, whatever it's anger, immorality, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and all these things which I'm warning you about, he says, Paul says, For just as I have forewarned you, those who practice these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. It's not about the flesh, but it's about self-control. In fact. In 1 Corinthians two, it says, "No, let us not dilute the gospel to make it attractive to men by appealing to their fleshly lusts." All, all through the the church in Colossian uh, the Colossian church, and Corinth, and and all of these areas, there was such a propensity to focus on the flesh, and it distorted the gospel. It changed the gospel to where it was no longer the gospel. But this leads us to the next step to practice, and that is this: perseverance. Perseverance enables us to be persistent in our pursuit of godly character. Think about it: what makes some of the best soldiers in history? Some of the best soldiers in history are not because they were probably they weren't necessarily the best gifted physically. They weren't necessarily the, the most brilliant minds. They were the most persistent ones. They didn't stop. Just because it got hard, they didn't stop. Perseverance, or in the ESV, it says steadfastness. If we, when, we, when we build self-control, guess what we're able to do? To persevere. If you don't develop self-control, then it's hard to be Persistent, or to persevere. If self-control has to do with our physical pleasures and our flesh, then perseverance has to do with pain. Our natural tendency is to pursue pleasure and to flee pain. When we develop self-control in our life, we're able to deal with the hard things in life and to persevere and not give ground to sin and to the evil schemes of, of Satan. Here's The the issue here is perseverance has to do with enduring pain. Perseverance is the commitment and character that persists in doing what's right. Perseverance is saying that I am going to, no matter what cost, I'm going to persevere in following God's moral excellence in my life. I am not going to give up on God's character because I know what's coming. Perseverance also includes patience. It's exemplified by our Lord. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 says Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance. The race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy is set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame and us now, set down at the right hand throne of God. For consider him who has endured. He had the greatest perseverance. He ran the race so we can persevere. Consider him who endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. Do you see the fact that he did it for joy? Joy was not based on his suffering, was not based on his circumstances, but it was based on the fact that he was patiently enduring what was going to come because he knew what the outcome was if we develop self-control and we've developed knowledge of who God is, and as we, and if we've developed all of these things from our, that's based on our faith, on who, what God has done for us, and he's our focus of our life, we are able to persevere because we can patiently endure what is right now because we know what's going to come. Are you focused on what's right now in your life or are you focused on what's to come? That's the idea behind this word. To persevere is the attitude of a soldier who in the thick of battle is not dismayed by the fight or the difficulties but knows and is confident in the outcome. And that's the real issue. Do you realize the, the idea here is knowing that God will return. Growing in godliness is based on On these things. You have to exercise them. You have to make them your own. Uh, It's a mindset that we have that's based on Christ. It's not based on your ability. When we do not exercise self-control, it's hard to live this way. If you don't control your emotions, your lusts, and your flesh then we are centered on now. And if we are centered on now, we will not persevere. You can't. You you have to take the step to control your flesh. And that only comes by understanding who God is. When we understand who God is, it's because we have faith, because we're seeking his moral excellence in our life. It's amplified by God so that way we can amplify it in our life. It includes great patience. Will the knowledge of God lead you to self-control and because it leads you to self-control will it lead you to patience in your life? Who is in control of your life? That's the real question. You're not exercising self-control. Your grip is loosened, And when your grip is loosened, so is your aim. And if your aim is loosened, you're not quite sure where you're going. And when you're not quite sure where you're going, it's hard to persevere because the weight of the world is crashing on you. This is our responsibility to exercise. Make every effort to supplement what God has given you with these qualities. I pray that is your desire and your goal and that we can make that the desire and goal as God's body, as his, as his church, as, his, as he calls it, the bride of Christ, that we can work at exercising these things that we might beautify God's bride, that we will be effective and useful to our community. Effective and useful for those that need to be encouraged in the church, that we can be effective and useful for the kids that need to be taught, that we can be effective and useful for our coworker that is is hurting but won't tell you. That we'll be effective and useful to lead somebody to Christ. Have you led somebody to Christ yet this year? I I got a blessing to do that this week. I was so excited. Right? I'm not an evangelist, but every time I get an opportunity, I mean, I celebrate it. It's just awesome to see the light go on in somebody's head when they realize they need Christ. That is yours, but if you're not exercising these things, it's impossible to do that. It's not impossible for God to do it, but it's impossible for you to be a part of it. Will you exercise what God has given you, His divine nature, His character. Exercise it and see what God does. Right? When we exercise, I don't know about you, but when I run, I never ever thought I could run 10 miles. Running one mile was disgusting for me. I was a sprinter in high school, I was a good at sprinter in high school, but I worshiped that too much. God took it away. I cannot run. There's, it's physically impossible for me to run the way I did in high school. I was collegiate level running in high school. Uh, God took it away. I tore the, the, the muscle right off my hip. And, uh, but here's the thing. I never thought it possible I would ever... I, there's no way I'd run 10 miles. My body's not built for it. My brother-in-law said, no way, you can run 10 miles. I'll take you. He did. After two miles, I thought I was going to die. Three three miles, I wasn't sure I was breathing. All of a sudden, at four miles, things began to look up. I was sore, but I began to feel good. I began to feel the blood flowing back to my head because I was breathing again. (laughs) By about seven miles, I had forgotten that we, we, how far we were even running. It was amazing. By ten miles, I didn't realize we had run twelve. Pain and the flesh dictates a lot in our life. Now I'll tell you what. When I got back to the campsite, because we were, uh, you know, why in the world would you run ten miles when you're camping? Just ask my brother-in-law. I don't know why. But when I got back to the camping, you know what I did? I laid down. I stopped moving. Guess what happened? I didn't move the rest of the day. (laughs) Hey, Kyle, are you coming to dinner? No. (laughs) I can't move. Everything in my life froze up, except for my breathing and my eyeballs were still open. I say that because some of you have started to exercise your faith. And you realize, hey, this is not so bad. I can do this. And then you've stopped. And you're sitting. You've stopped exercising your faith completely. And all of a sudden, all you, the muscles in your faith have frozen. That, that's normal. Get back up. My brother-in-law drug me into the water. He said, get in the water. He said, loosen up. I had a great brother-in-law. He kind of kept me moving. Once I got moving, he did it gently. I began to, and all of a sudden, I was like, hey, I can do this. I can run 10 miles again. Then I started running 10 miles over and over and over again. Praise the Lord, I had my phone on me. Fourth day into my 10-mile marathon, I loved it. I was like, I can run 10 miles. This is great. I ran 10 miles Monday. I ran 10 miles Tuesday. I ran, you know, fourth day into it, I got four miles in. My back said no. My wife came and picked me up on the side of the road, laying on the floor. I mean, laying on the ground. I stopped relying on the Lord and began to rely on what I thought I could do. All of these things are true when we exercise our faith. You have to exercise your faith, and you, God will give you everything that he desires if you exercise your faith. Immediately, as soon as you stop moving, you will stiffen up in your faith. Slowly begin to move it again. When you begin to move it again, realize that you can try to exercise all these things based on yourself. Don't do that. Go back and be reminded of your faith and that it's in Christ. It is in Christ alone, in faith alone, by grace alone. It's all because of what he did on the cross. Keep that as the power in your life, and it will help you to exercise correctly. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this subject of exercising And Lord, I I pray that we would live on a steady diet of your word that is based on you, not on our flesh. Help us, I pray, in this endeavor to see your divine nature in our faith that you gave us. And that we would keep our focus on you, that you would be the power source in our life. That it would help us not only to get a grip on our life, but Lord, also to persevere in our life, to get out of the mud, to not be stuck in the mud. Lord, it's all because of you. It's because of the fact that we need you. We are not righteous. We are not good. We do not seek you on our own. But Lord, you came because of that need. You saw our plight. And while we were yet sinners, you showed us what real love was and that you died for us to take our place, to take our punishment, On the cross, you paid for our very sin, our punishment. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. By Jesus Christ, our Lord, who died on the cross for our sins, Lord, you paid for our sin. And it says, all who put their trust and make you the payment of their sin. That it's by your righteousness, it's by your good that we are saved. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Lord, I pray right now that you'd be working in the hearts of someone here that would say, I, I can't do it anymore. I can't live based on my good because I'm not good. I have failed. I'm depressed. I'm frustrated with life. Lord, that your spirit would speak to their heart right now and they would realize that they need to have an intimate relationship with their Savior, the one who paid for their sin, and that they would put their that they believe in you and not in themselves. That, That right now, that in their heart and in their mind, they would connect their heart and their mind together and say, Lord, I need to be saved because I'm a sinner. And Lord, that you would save them. And that they would call out to you right now. I pray that they would do that. That no one here would leave without knowing you and have a relationship with you, the Savior, of our souls. Lord, for the rest of us, may we exercise according to who you are by the faith which you gave us based on Christ and what he did on the cross for us. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray.